Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is The Fray Podcast, brought to you by thefray.com, a place for women who want more from life. Welcome to today's podcast episode. This one is a conversation with a lovely lady and a wonderful mum by the name of Courtney. Courtney and I connected via Instagram, and you'll hear us chat about that during our conversation. But I felt a real call towards inviting Courtney to be on the podcast to talk about her real life experience. It's very tempting uh, with podcasts to want to go for the specialist, to go for the expert. And there are times and places when that is exactly what we need. But the more I think about the most impactful conversations I've been part of, they're usually really candid, raw chats with real people in real life. It's an exchange with a mum at the school gate that makes me feel more normal Um you know, and even saying the word normal, you'll hear Courtney and I talk about that in our episode. It's a conversation with a girlfriend about the really hard moments in parenting that can often be, yeah, more impactful to me and my life than an expert telling me what's what. So Courtney and I are not doctors. We are not experts. We are just two mums having a conversation And for me, I just really wanted to understand what Courtney's life is like. So Courtney has two sons and one of those, um, one of those little boys, Fletcher, she'll talk about him in our episode, has been diagnosed with ASD, ADHD, ODD and CAS. Courtney is a mum and an advocate and it was such a pleasure to get to know her more and hear about her experience um, just with her own family. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. Again, we are not claiming to have any answers on any of these diagnosis diagnoses. I keep getting caught up on that word. We're not claiming to have all of the answers. We're just sharing a conversation with you, and I hope you enjoy it. You can connect with Courtney. You can find her on Instagram at life with underscore Courtney underscore. And I've put her handle in our show notes. Our intention for this episode is purely to help other parents feel less isolated and to feel a sense of connection and validation for their own experience. If you enjoy this episode, let us know. You can slide into my DMs, slide into Courtney's. I loved 
this conversation. If you want more conversations like this on the podcast, the only way that's going to happen is if you let me know. So you can do that by leaving a review or as I said, sharing this story on your uh, social media account is another way to do it or sliding into our messages. I'm really grateful for your time um, in listening to this conversation. And I think it's one that's going to help a lot of people feel less alone, but a lot of people understand understand other people more as well. So without further ramble from me, let's get into my chat with Courtney. Courtney, thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation with me. I've been really looking forward to it. And even just in our little chat now before hitting record, I feel like I already know you. Me as well. I was going to say thank you for having me. Of course. So the way that you and I connected was because on Instagram stories, I was speaking a little bit about my son and seeking a diagnosis for ADHD. And then I had other women reach out in turn saying they were in a similar situation or they found the diagnosis process uh, for, for a variety of different things can be really challenging. And you kindly reached out to me and said, you know what, I've walked this path. If any of these women want to connect with me, please feel free to share my Instagram handle. And I thought that was just such a kind, generous thing to do because it's not as though you have anything to gain from doing that. And I just thought that's such a a pure thing to think there's someone out there who's struggling. And like you said to me, I don't have all of the answers, but I'm living it. So if someone wants to connect, send them my way. Yes. And I said to you, come on the podcast and let's just have a very real, raw conversation between two mums. Um, and I just want to know more about your your journey and I guess why you felt compelled to reach out. And we'll go from there. All right. Well, like I was just saying, Kylie, I think it was finding that middle ground. I reached out because I know how lonely it is and the overwhelm of, you know, having these therapists and doctors and teachers and you noticing that something's just not quite right and just not having anywhere to turn, just to have a conversation about how I'm feeling, what I need to do. And I just felt like there was something missing and someone to just listen. And like I said, not have all the answers, not come at you with, you need to do, but just to go, yeah, I hear you. It's hard, but we can get through it and here's how we could possibly make it a little bit easier. So I'm hoping I can do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what I said to you when you and I were direct messaging each other back and forth on Instagram was I could go out and invite uh, doctors and specialists and, you know, I might very well go and do that, but, you know, I could have a range of professionals yeah. with all of the accreditation Um, come and speak about these different diagnoses that you're living with. But there's such a difference between someone who is a trained professional and will speak to the logistical side of things um, versus someone who's actually in it day in, day out. Could you tell me a little bit about, and you have two boys. Could you tell me a little bit about your family life 
um, I don't know whether you want to start with where you're at now or how, yeah. or, or go right back to the well, early days. I guess I have two children. So I have a 10 year old and a seven year old. My eldest boy is neurotypical. So he has no diagnosis. He's just out there living his best life. Um, and Fletcher is my youngest. So he is seven and he is my little boy with multiple diagnoses. So to be really honest, I knew there was something, for lack of a better word, wrong, different. And this, not do you know what, right. Courtney? I'm just going to drop in and say this is one of the things that I think stops people having public conversations is we don't want to use the wrong language. Yes, I just if you say that. Yes, if you say he's not normal, then someone's going to come for yeah, you and say, are going to come for me. Yes. I know. And I'm Wait. like, look, I'm just talking about my child Please, yeah. and, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's just think- how I speak of him. He's perfect, but he isn't a little bit different. <laughs> yes. And that's one of the things there's such a difference between the candid conversation you have with your friend versus the one that you often hear on a produced podcast. And I want this to be the candid conversation. So speak comfortably as you are and know that you are in a safe space. (laughs) Thank you very much. So yes, speaking candidly, I knew that something was wrong. I, I just had this overwhelming sense that something just wasn't right. He, his eyes were just lifeless for lack of a better word he cried all the time he didn't sleep he didn't make noises I don't remember him ever smiling as a baby he just wasn't a settled child and maybe I wouldn't have known the difference as much had he have been my first but because I'd done it before of course I knew all babies were different but there was just something deep in my gut and I remember crying to my parents saying there's something wrong with him and they kept saying to me he's fine he's perfect you know he's windy there's these issues and I'm like no like deep within him something's not right when I, he was seven months old, I then got diagnosed with postnatal depression. I had it quite badly. And I, from that moment and from that time of diagnosis, I instantly went, well, it's just the postnatal depression. I haven't seen him properly. This is on me. Then my family said, see, there's nothing wrong with him. You just weren't feeling quite right. And I started to question myself. Because it's very tempting to do that. And to Absolutely. go, oh, I'm the problem exactly. here. To not it, trust your own intuition, particularly yes. when you have experts saying you're actually not thinking clearly yes. as it is. Yes, exactly. So that rattled me a little bit. And even now with him being almost eight, he could be unwell and I still have to deep within myself, trust my instincts because I was just told for so long that I was wrong where now I'm like, I knew it. Even with postnatal depression, I knew him and I did love him. And it's actually been quite healing for me knowing that even through that, I could sense his soul. Like I, I knew like it was, it's been quite healing. There's nothing like having a child come to you and take you to your lowest point and then break open this person. And I've had to do so much healing with him. Um, And I'll go into that a little bit later because that was one of the points I did write down because I thought it was super important. So he walked, crawled, did everything at 
you know, an optimal time for his age and development. So he was hitting milestones. Yeah, absolutely. But never a word, never a noise. He, he, by the time he was 12 months old, he had giggled twice. And I just knew he, he just was not happy. He still wasn't sleeping. We didn't get our first full night's sleep until he was about 18 months old. He was up every hour on the hour. He was just wired. Like it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And he got to about 18 months old. And I said to my husband, enough. I, I want to take him to a pedi- pediatrician. He, he's not speaking. He's just very funny with food, sensory, didn't sleep. He just wasn't interacting with other children the way he should. And at that age, so many people, they all develop in their own time. And I said, absolutely. I'm not denying that at all, but I know him and I just want to get it looked at. You know, I'm a big, I'm not one of them people that put it off or get scared for a tricky answer. Like I'd prefer to know and research and hit it head on. I'm like, I'm all in, let's go. And I took him to a pediatrician and the ped said to me, well, he doesn't have autism because he looked me in the eye when he walked in. So let's rule that out. And I'm okay. And then he said, he's just a late talker. If you want to put him in some speech therapy, do that, but he's fine. And I just wasn't happy. I said to my husband, nope, we're not doing that. So I booked him into a speech therapist Um, And straight away, she said, absolutely, something not going from the brain to his mouth. You can see his receptive language, language, sorry, so him understanding us was perfect. Um, So she sort of, I guess, mumbled around with a few assessments and said, it looks as though he'll be eventually diagnosed with childhood apraxia of speech. And I had never heard of that before. So she explained to me that it it is a lifelong condition. Um, He will need therapy for the rest of his life. And as much as I felt like I'd been kicked in the stomach, there was this overwhelming sense of relief. And I'm like, okay, we can Validation. get help. Validation. Yet, like, finally, after 18 months, I'm like, I knew it. Like, yes, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. <laughs> but then, of course, I started researching and I knew how tricky his life was going to be. And then I think as a parent, I spiraled a little bit because I thought, what if he can never talk? What if people hurt him and he can't tell me they've hurt him? What if, you know, I never get to hear him say, I love you? Like my mum heart just broke. Like there was this little boy and obviously with not being able to communicate, there was so much frustration coming out in him as well. And then it just whirlpooled after that. It was just, we went to the therapist, then we went to a psychologist, GPs. So the process is really long and it's tricky and it's very expensive. And by the time he was four, we had quite literally almost gone bankrupt. So Every cent we had went into getting therapies and reports written. I had a folder on my phone of videos, images. I had a notebook that I carried around everywhere with me, just writing dates, times, things he was doing. All consuming. Oh, it was just horrendous. And obviously in that time, life's happening. I had gone back to work full time. I was still a wife and I've got an older child who's still hitting his milestones and going through things. And it was just such a lonely time and none of my friends had children at all by that point or going through nothing what I was going through and 
it was just the loneliest time and I just I had nowhere to go no one knew what to do GPs couldn't tell me and you know you can google but there's nothing there that they, they don't tell you really anything so I think that is one of the most important things I wanted to do today was just speak about what you know, you need to do first and what you can do. And my biggest takeaway from everything I said then is take notes, write everything down, keep a folder on your phone, take videos of different behaviors and things that aren't quite right. Because when you walk into that specialist and they just stare at you blankly and say, well, tell me about it, everything goes out the window. (laughs) And so many different things come into play there as well, Courtney, because you go in and you meet with a specialist Um, And I know for me, I can get a bit funny with like a bit of white coat syndrome and kind of babble my way through it. So I imagine having having notes where you can be like, no, 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 at the age of blah, blah, this is what was happening. So really clear, specific notes. Yes. And that's what they want. I had reached out to his kindy educators and said, can you, you know, write down any troubling behaviours that you're noticing? And I was very... I guess, honest with those around me saying, I'm not going to take offence if you say, I think Fletcher's behind here. I think Fletcher was doing these behaviours and they were inappropriate. Like, I'm not going to come for you. I I want to know what he's struggling with so we can help him. Separating your ego as the parent. Yes. And so many people said, I don't know how you do that. And I said, well, this is to help him. This isn't about me. This is him. Like, unless I know the, you know, crux of everything happening to him, I can't help him. Help him. This has got nothing to do with me. Which I think is such a credit to you as a parent, Courtney, because this, I think, is one of the things that stops parents seeking diagnoses diagnoses, diagnoses, um, or support because they feel it's a reflection of them or a shortcoming of them. There's so much entanglement and enmeshment between parent and child. And it's like, no, 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 they're a separate entity from you. Yes. How can you support them? through their journey and so you had the apraxia is that how I say it so we had the apraxia diagnosis and from what I was reading apraxia often goes hand in hand with autism or ADHD rarely is it a standalone diagnosis it can be but rarely it is and obviously by sort of three four he was in kindy he was interacting with other children he was terrible. He would retreat. He couldn't, yeah, he couldn't look people in the eye. He couldn't have conversations, any change in his routine. And it's certainly not a tantrum. He would smack himself in the head. He would run. There were so many times I literally had to put him in the safety of his bedroom and hold the door shut and hear him just destroying his room and screaming. And I would just sit on the floor on the outside of his room and just sob because all I wanted to do was take it away. But I knew that one, that was the safest place for him. I knew that that was his safe zone. I knew that the most he would do would be to jump on his bed and then he would come out and then we would talk about it. And it's certainly not like having a conversation with a neurotypical child where you're like, okay, so this is what sent you into this and this is what we're going to do. It's very 
I can't speak to Fletcher with any emotion. It makes him very uncomfortable. So it has to all be very fact-based with him. And he doesn't really do that anymore. And over the years, he now, if he does get very anxious at home, he will hide under his bed. Um, And that was so much safer to me than him running because, I mean, he has run out in front of traffic. He has tried to jump off balconies. I mean, we've had it all. So, I was always very reluctant to share that side of things at home because I know to a lot of parents they're going to hear that woman locks her child in a bedroom and lets him scream in the bedroom and that might be the facts of it but I had to change every way I parented to keep him safe keep him safe and for him to hopefully over the years learn what he needed to do to regulate because The truth is I'm not always going to be there with him. As much as I want to be, I can't be. I don't want to protect him to the point he doesn't live his life. And with any child, it's so hard letting go. But with a child who you know that every time you let them go, they could run every day. It's a completely different thing. It's so different. It's so different. And I just hope by saying these tricky things, like I've lost my patience with him. I've raised my voice. Only a couple of weeks ago, I'd had shoes thrown at me. He was screaming at me and he makes this grunting noise and it just triggers something in me. I'm not sure whether it's from him crying so much as a child. Like it just, it brings out this person in me that I don't want to be and I'm not 90% of the time, but I'm not perfect. And I raised my voice at him and I said to him, like, I just, why does it have to be so hard? Like, why do you have to ruin every morning? And as soon as the words come from my mouth, my heart shattered and I knew that I'd done the wrong thing. I started to cry and then that made him so uncomfortable. So I kissed him on the forehead and I walked away. And in that moment, I just thought to myself, like, what are you doing? You know better than this. And I was so hard on myself, but it's hard and I'm not perfect and it's probably going to happen again. And that's the honest, you know, that that is the honesty of it. It's so difficult. I think you're incredible. And I think all parents have those moments where words leave our mouth. We raise our voice. We act in a way that we're not proud of. You know, we lose our shit for lack of a better, (laughs) more refined statement. Everyone does. But you are in a, such a, um, such a pressure cooker. All the time. So yeah, it's, it's all the time. (laughs) Yes. So you mentioned that apraxia goes hand in hand often with ADHD and autism. Does Fletcher have those diagnoses? He does. So In the last two years, he's received an official diagnosis through his psychologist. So we had all of his official testing done, which took a couple of months. He has um, ASD level two, ADHD combined type. He also has oppositional defiance disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. So what is oppositional defiance? What is that? I mean, obviously I... uh, I'm like, oh, okay, he opposes things quite defiantly. That's exactly what it is. By literal definition, okay. And by literal definition, that is what it is. It is very anxiety-based. So the second he gets anxious and he feels like he's losing control, he fights to get that control back 
and that is just by defying everything around him. It wouldn't matter what I said, he would do the opposite. So I've done courses and quite a lot of um, research myself and it's just about giving him choice. When he feels anxious, I need to say, do you want to have a shower tonight or do you want to brush your teeth? So I just need to give him that control. But there are times when I can't, like sometimes he wakes up at 1am in the morning and that's when he starts his day. That's when we start our day and he'll want to go to McDonald's and I can't do that. And he does not understand that. So then, you know, he could go into a meltdown for three hours and that's him destroying his room, hitting, kicking. It's, and then, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's not fun and it's not fun for him either. And I know that I need to embrace him in that moment, but I can't hug him and I can't talk to him and I can't do what I would do with any other child. So what do you do in that situation? Is that the case of we just have to keep him safe? Because as you said, people will listen and go, oh my gosh, if my child was having a meltdown, I'd wrap them up and I'd talk to them and I'd comfort them. But you can't. No. And I yearn to do that because when I see him like that and you see your child like that, I want to hold him and hug him and say, mummy's here and it's okay. that would make it worse. So much worse. (laughs) So I can't. So again, I have to separate my ego and what I want to be as a parent. Your mothering instinct. Yeah. And it's so hard. Um, But in that instant, I do have to just keep him safe. So I need to sit with him. If there's a break in his meltdown, I can say, we can't have McDonald's now, but can we go and have a look for a packet of chips in the cupboard that might be crunchy like something at McDonald's? So it's that distraction. And 80% of the time it will work and the other 20, it just won't. And I literally just have to sit with him and it's like the flick of a switch. He'll be screaming and then he'll go, me want to watch TV now. And the whiplash from that, then it just circles. And then it's the, not the typical <laughs> slow escalation and de-escalation. It's just no. foot on, foot off. Exactly. And I think, honestly, that's one of the things I find the most difficult is the constant whiplash of you're walking on eggshells around your own child all the time. And so many people have said, well, just give him what he wants, you know, live in a way of what he wants. And I know that there are probably a lot of parents that do that and I'm not by any means saying that that's wrong, but I'm a very forward thinker and I can disassociate myself from what I need to do for myself for him in the moment and what he's going to need in 10 years' time when I'm not there and the world's not going to give him what he needs all of the time. So it's, it's so hard because I do, like even some mornings when he's getting dressed for school, I can see he's overstimulated you know, his pants don't fit. We've tried on six different pairs of socks. We're running late. His brother's late for something at school. And I want to just say, let's stay home today. And there are some times, of course I do it, but for the most part, I, I can't. I, I can't, t- could you do something once with him? And he thinks that happens all the time. Because you're aware that there's a world that he has to operate in. Yes. So you're exactly. laying you're laying the foundation for him because 
as you said, you can't be with him every minute of every day. So yeah. it's as much as you'd love to shape your whole world, the whole world, everyone <laughs> around Absolutely. your son because you love him. Absolutely. You know your own limitations. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I had a question Um when Fletcher is having his outbursts, does it ever get to a point where it becomes physically dangerous for you? Yes, yes. And I don't speak of that a lot of times to people. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if this makes you uncomfortable, we no, can zip this out. Not at all. I think this is uh, such an important part because, I, I mean, I'm quite an open book, so if I find it tricky to talk about it, I can understand if other people are sort of living that silently because you do have those sorts. I don't want people to think my child's a monster. Of you course know, you, you want to protect them. I just, that question dropped in for me because, you know, as as kids get older and there's, there's going to be a point, I look at my boys, there's going to be a point where they are physically bigger than me or yes. stronger than me or equally yes. as Absolutely. capable to inflict you know, physical force. And so when I was listening to you explain that there are times when you have to keep Fletcher safe, I imagine there's times when you just have to keep yourself safe too. I do, I do. So there are times where I will have to walk away from him. Um, Like if I'm kneeling down at him, there have been times he outbursts and will sort of just push and just in that moment like I've fallen back. Um, He bites when he gets overstimulated never to anyone else this is a behavior that is only directed at me and I do understand it's because I am his safe space he's never been aggressive with anyone at school or anyone on the outside he is quite good at self-regulating so I am grateful but I do get concerned as he ages and he is quite big already how that's going to look for me Um, but really all I can do is I mean, I stay quite fit. <laughs> I try to do that side of things because that's what I can control. I try to yes. control the controllables yes. because I, I can't do much else. But, yeah, it does get dangerous and he does get quite physical and he doesn't – when he's in that rage, his strength is just out of this world. And then once he's done it, that feeling of remorse kicks in and that feeling's just too much for him and that's when he runs. How does his older brother handle all of this? Gosh, this is when I get emotional. He is the kindest soul and he is so gentle. There's been once that he's sort of raised his voice back at Fletcher and said, don't hurt my mum. And in that moment, like just everything inside me just broke for both of them. We're very honest with him. We're a very honest household. We speak very openly about Fletcher's diagnosis. He reads therapy notes with me. He asks the therapist questions. We have a very open communication with him to make sure he's 
never feeling left out. We make sure there's that one-on-one time with him. We tell him that it's okay to have thoughts that he wouldn't say out loud, that it's okay sometimes to wish your brother didn't have autism and we don't have to love autism all the time and that's not a bad thing. And I've helped him through that same grieving process that I had because you don't ever expect to have a child like Fletcher. It's not spoken about. You know, you do all of these tests for other disabilities and when I had when you have a child and they're healthy and they can see and hear very rarely does the thought ever cross your mind that they're going to have some sort of disability later down the track yeah it's the whole 10 fingers 10 toes we're functioning we're good he's putting on weight you're good to go yes and that's it so there is a grief process involved and again I know that can be a bit triggering for people and I know from myself, I grieve him quite often because it's not what I expected and it's wonderful and I wouldn't change him, but I don't have a relationship with him like I do with my eldest son. I I am a lover and I'm affectionate and I don't get that from him. He doesn't, he's never told me he loves me. He's never hugged me and he's almost eight. And as a parent, when you hug your child and you can see it physically makes them uncomfortable, the heartache that comes with that is just unimaginable when all I want to do is hug him and have him love me. And I know he does, but his brother has those same thoughts. So I'm very honest with him and say, I really struggle with that today too, mate. And I think that's helped a lot. Yeah, that transparency, letting your son in on what's going on so that there's no conflation of, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, this is is what we're dealing with as a family. Yes. I think it's really important for people to talk about grieving, even when people are still with us. Yes. Because some people might go, well, that's silly. Why are you grieving a child that's with you that you still love and that's under your household, like under your roof? But the truth is you would, you would grieve in so many ways, Courtney, because you would grieve for their experience, grieve for that connection and recognition that you're not getting. And also probably I imagine, and you you can tell me, you can correct me, but I imagine there would be a level of grief for the life that you thought you would have with two kids, such as you thought that you would get up and take two kids and drop them to school. And then you thought after school you could safely go to a park and have all of those interactions. Yes. So there's grief on multiple levels. So many levels and there's so many layers. And often I think like I'm through the thick of it and then something else happens and like my eldest son is getting ready to go to camp soon and it's his first camp. And he said to me the other day, they probably won't let Fletcher go on camp because Fletcher is medicated in the morning and in the evenings and his life will look different. Some kids go to after-school activities. He goes to therapy. You know, my eldest son can be babysat and looked after by anyone. I can't leave Fletcher with anyone. And there is a grief process in, in that. And just recently, actually, we had an updated 
planning meeting for him. So once children turn seven, they are no longer in early intervention. They go into an actual disability support program. So it's a little bit different and a little bit, it's trickier, much trickier. The paperwork's a lot more. Prepare yourselves for that one because that would that's a podcast on its own. <laughs> but he, the gentleman said to me, you know, well, you will get support workers and they will be able to come in and help him you know, as an adult and do groceries and cook for him once you and Lachlan are not here anymore. And honestly, in that moment, I, I stopped listening to everything he, he said. My vision went blurry, like my hands started to sweat. And I just thought, oh, my God. And I looked at my husband and when we walked out, I just sobbed for an hour uncontrollably because I thought, well, nothing can ever happen to me. Like he, he can't be alone. I don't want support workers looking after him, but that is the reality. And I appreciated him so much for saying that to me because that is our reality. But again, that's a grief process. (laughs) It's so confronting to think about that because I imagine there's so much time where you spend, where you do spend time forecasting, but you're forecasting for how he's going to be with you forecasting yes. for what you're going to do and then that exactly that reality of our own morality that none of us are around forever yes and that your child is going to need so much support yes and that's when his brother he's just he's just so pure he's like well he can live with me and my wife <sighs> and our children and it's fine Stop, mom and you're gonna make me i cry. know and <sighs> then again i say to him i love that but You don't want it to be his responsibility. No, and I get people quite angry when I say that and they're like, but that's what's family for and he's his brother. And I said, but he didn't sign up for this. He can support him and he can go to his appointments and he can find his niche within his life, but it's not his responsibility to give up his life. I don't expect him to do that just because we added a little boy to our family that needs all these extra supports. That's not on his older brother and... Yeah, I don't know whether that's right or wrong thinking, but for me that's just how I feel and he, I don't want him to be his carer. I want him to be his brother. Yes, and I was just, you just took the words out of my <laughs> mouth, Courtney, because as a mum you're in protection mode for both of your boys. Yes. So you're not just going where the whole family is here centred around Fletcher and so much of your life would be. So much of the way you spend your time, your money, as you mentioned earlier, would be focused on supporting Fletcher. But as a mum, you have your two kids and you want to also protect your son, your firstborn. That's right. So it makes sense that you go, I I wish you two could have a brother bond. I don't wish for you to be his carer and for that to be... Um, the thing that dictates the rest of his life that stops him from traveling. That's exactly right. I don't want it to stop him because, you know, I can tell that he is just destined for great things and I want him to experience all of those things without having the responsibility of caring for him. And, yeah, that's just it's a huge thing for me I don't want him to even now when we go places I'm like keep an eye on your brother sure but if it gets to a point where it's dangerous or you want to go and try something new or a friend says come and play over here don't say no to those experiences because Fletcher's there you come and get me you come and get an adult I want him to have that happy balance and I want them to have each other's backs for sure but he needs to walk away when 
he's growing. I'm getting all teary. You're a beautiful <laughs> mom. You're doing such a great job. Thank I know you it so probably much. doesn't feel like it sometimes, but like I'm literally like, oh. I'm gonna cry because I can only imagine the duality that exists within your life. There's extreme hards, there'd be extreme joys. And that's one of the things that we spoke about before we hit record was you were saying to me that when you were initially going through the process of finding out, you know, what is the diagnosis, what what's happening here, you said that a lot of what you looked into was either all bad, as in you're doomed, this is yes. so hard, or it was more Pollyanna of you're so lucky, this is going to enrich your life and really positive. And both of those things exist, but life is somewhere in the middle exactly. <laughs> and you can love 100%. your child and you can believe that he was meant for you and he was sent here and you can have so much joy and love him so purely that you would die for him in a second. And you probably have moments where you're like, why me? Yes. You know, and it all and no exists. One wants to say that. No one wants to say that. Like there are some days I do wish that he didn't have autism I love it and it's taught us lessons and maybe if it came down to it I wouldn't change it but I can't be dishonest and say that there are some days I don't want it for him especially but for myself as a mum I want him to hug me I want him to love me I don't want him to go to therapies and I don't want every second of my day to be thinking about this diagnosis and what needs to come next and what email needs to come and who do I have to follow up with and I think that is the middle ground. Fletcher having autism has taught me so much like it has humbled me. I was that parent that's like it's the middle of winter. Why is that child walking in a shopping center with no shoes and no shirt but the mum's dressed head to toe in pajamas like oh my gosh you know, Q incomes Fletcher. Well, he doesn't wear shoes anywhere. And he went through a phase of wearing clothes that were far too tight. And he honestly looked disheveled 90% of the time. And I got those looks and I went, yeah, okay. Thank you universe. Learned my lesson. So I totally get it. Like I've learned so much and I'm so much not judgmental, but I see gray in everything now. And I've learned from him that He doesn't tell me he loves me and he doesn't hug me and show that affection, but he's taught me that really love is just a word. He, I feel it from him, the glance over the table when he gets fidgety, the hand on my leg, I can't hold it back. God, no, don't touch it back for goodness. But he's taught me that love is far more than a word and it is in actions and I love that so deeply he has taught me so much but yeah you know five days out of seven I'm not sure how I'm going to survive the day anymore (laughs) yeah and I think it's such a beautiful thing for you to share that with our listeners and our community because there will be mums who are tearing up listening to this right now and they're so grateful for your vulnerability it's going to be much more helpful than hearing from a specialist on the 10 things that you can do and all of that stuff yeah I have two more questions that I'd love to ask you. Of course. One is, is therapy helping Fletcher? Have you seen improvements? Tremendously. His his speech uh, a lot. He speaks very, very well now. 
so apraxia is when the brain knows the word, but it doesn't relate to the muscles in the mouth. So he can know a word, but he says it and it sounds completely different, but he can't always hear that it's come out different. Um, so speech therapy has been a constant since he was 18 months old. He's gone fortnightly up until now and his speech is incredible. He doesn't say I, and there are obviously a few things still going on, but he's brilliant. OT is more for using knife and fork, that type of thing. He's very uncoordinated. He's got really low muscle tone. So he struggles with things. We still have to dress him, shower him, toilet him, those types of things. The biggest note change that I have noticed is definitely with his speech therapy and his psychology. It was worth almost going bankrupt. It was so incredibly important. We do have an NDIS package now, which I'm forever grateful for, but therapy is essential. Him learning how to deal with his emotions is going to keep him safe. So yes, a hundred percent without therapy, I don't think he would have come so far and early intervention is a must. If anyone's listening and you think your little one is a little bit different, but you're scared because you don't want them to be different or you think you've done something wrong, you haven't and they're perfect and they're beautiful and they'll only get better, but it's okay to take them to therapy and to ask questions because the earlier you intervene with them, the better they're going to be and it will be worthwhile. You mentioned the NDIS. Did you want to speak a little bit about that, about why it's so important? I just financially, obviously, it's an incredible help. It opens so many avenues to you for therapy It's a very tricky process. We were denied three to four times um, before we were approved. I had to send several reports. I just didn't stop annoying them, basically. Just keep calling, keep sending the emails. Don't take no as an answer. Ask them what more they need from you and then give them double that. Take notes, highlight your pieces of paper, be all over it. Um, So that is tricky but very grateful. I imagine the hoops that you've got to jump through and all of that legwork that you've got to do would turn a lot of parents off. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying to you before we started recording, Kylie, I'm a very, yep, that's fine. You know, my meal's raw. That's okay. I'm not going to say anything. But having Fletcher just ignited something in me where I still eat the raw steak, but if someone tells me, no, I can't help you, that's not good enough for me anymore. It's that primal mama bear (laughs) instinct of like, I will go to war for you, my son. Like I am ready to fight. So I think I was so successful with NDIS because I just kept calling. I kept sending the emails and I have my trusty notepad with everything written down. So yeah, circling back to that, keep everything written down, keep notes, ask questions, ask if you can talk to someone else, get educators to write notes it doesn't have to be formal it just has to be what people see parents grandparents you know I was very privileged I worked in an office I could type things send emails but you don't need to do that hand write it do whatever you need to do and yeah try and look into NDIS even if it seems like a huge hill to cross once you've crossed it it's so worth it you're relentless. <laughs> and last, but in the best way, in the, and last but not least, how do you look after yourself amongst everything, Courtney? Like what do you do that keeps you fueled enough to be that relentless mama bear who has to keep going into war? 
I do cry a bit, which I think is very helpful. I didn't at the start. I felt like I needed to not get upset because he was still healthy. I know that there were children who were suffering physically and mentally more than him around me. And there was that guilt associated with feeling anything other than gratefulness. I just had to kick that to the curb. I I had to let myself cry when I wanted to. I had to say to people, I know you mean well, but it's just a really hard day. I don't need your advice. I just need you to listen. I had to deal with my own inner child, if I'm being completely honest. I had to disassociate my ego of wanting to be the perfect mum and have the perfect child speaking of perfect we just had a little cat jump up it's funny because before we hit hit record I said to Courtney my dog will bark my cat will meow then a cat just jumped up in front of her I can do do you one better I can do you one better yeah bring bring the cat into the interview beautiful I think that's important I think working on yourself and I get up at five every morning and I go for a 45 minute walk and I watch the sunrise and I'm just kind to myself. I allow myself to feel what I need to feel. If I make a mistake and I raise my voice or I can't give him the patience that he deserves in that moment, I don't beat myself up about it. I give myself a hug. I reassure myself. I do exercise. Exercise to me is just life and I know it's not that way for everyone. And I think that's a big thing too. Don't do what Google tells you to do. Don't do what the doctor tells you to do. If it doesn't feel right for you, it's probably not. You need to find what's peaceful for yourself because you're giving so much to other people. If it's screaming into a pillow or dancing in the kitchen or anything, you just have to find what really works for you. And yes, you're busy with therapies. There mightn't be much money. You just have to know that you're a priority and you're important. I think what you just said then is so powerful and I really want to highlight it. You just said basically find what brings you a sense of peace. Yeah. And there's it's so not much a peaceful wisdom life. in that. No, that <laughs> it's that's, not a peaceful life. Yes. So taking control and finding the five minutes, the two minutes, the 45-minute walk, the thing that actually restores your sense of peace even though it's fleeting, is what I imagine helps keep you charged for the next thing that's tricky. And it is so important because the less I look after myself, the less patience I have and I can't show up as the mum I want to be. So it might seem selfish or impossible in that five minutes to take that time for yourself, but it's it's imperative for survival. <laughs> we want to survive and thrive, and that balance is really just so important. You're incredible. You are a force, <laughs> and I'm so grateful for how candid you've been during our conversation today, and I think it's going to help a lot of listeners because there will be people who are on their own journey of seeking a diagnosis there will be people who have friends who yes. are going through the process. And even if you are that person in the shopping center that looks over at the family and thinks, why is the child wearing a midriff shirt? Why <laughs> is that right. kid wearing well, a very yeah, tight shirt? What is going on? Like what, what is going on there? <laughs> yes. Just mind your business back in your box and keep moving have an open mind don't be past Courtney because future Courtney learns all the lessons (laughs) 
<laughs> because you just don't know what's going on. So it really is, it's such a cliche thing to say, but just be kind because you don't know what that mum at school drop-off has dealt with yeah. to get to school drop Just off. smile at the mum because, you know, I, I get the looks and I'm a bit stronger now, but they still do hurt. And I've had times where I've been walking in with Fletcher and he's got his clothes don't fit. He's got food on his face because he's just in too much sensory overload for me to wipe it. And a mum will smile at me and it makes my day. And it's yeah. so simple. So if you see that mum, just smile at her. Oh, that's such beautiful advice. You've had so many pearls of wisdom during our conversation. I know that you do share over on Instagram. Where can our listeners connect with you? So my Instagram is life with Courtney and I do have a hashtag. It's Fletcher's fight for freedom. I am quite honest. So be prepared for the raw, the real and the in between. But I really do hope that I can help and reach out if you have any questions. And I hope our journey can help you feel a little bit less alone. I can guarantee you, you're helping people. You are helping people. I will put your Instagram handle in our show notes so that it's very easily accessible to all of our listeners. And again, I'm just so grateful. I'm in awe of you. No, thank you so much. You're incredible. It was wonderful. Thank you. We'll talk again. Okay. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.